Hey everyone, this is Cam Garrity. Welcome back to the Should Have Been a Phone Call. Before introducing Taylor today, I just want to thank everyone for tuning into the show last week, for subscribing, reviewing, sending kind messages. This project is such a labor of love, and being able to feel that love returned from all of you has meant so, so much. There are a lot of great guests coming up in future episodes who I cannot wait for you to hear. Some really compelling artists, friends, and heroes who I just can't wait for you to meet. And that, of course, brings me to today on the show, we have one of my best friends, the very talented puppeteer, actress, and producer, Ms. Taylor Bebot. She's really a professional wearer of many hats. She she helped produce major movies like the animated Adams Family movies and The Fate of the Furious. She has puppeteered on screen and stage all throughout the United States and is currently the festival and education coordinator for the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival. She's a very talented and thoughtful creator. We had such a good time in this discussion talking about the role of theater in our world, the role of puppetry in theater, as well as the role of storytelling through times of grief and heartbreak. Taylor and I have been dear, dear friends for nearly 10 years thanks to the National Puppetry Conference at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. We've been through a lot together, been in a lot of performances together. A few times we were teamed up as foot bitches. Those are the puppeteers on a puppet that needs to be performed by three or four people. uh, And we got to do that feat. So it's a lot of choreography and working in tandem. And it's brought us together in some really cool and unique ways. This should have been a phone call with my dance partner, Taylor Bebot. You know, I was thinking about it, and um, you were you were also a foot bitch on Ruby and Charlie. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, yeah, we were foot bitches. I was looking at pictures <laughs> the other day because yeah. I love that Jess is putting out like the history of stuff and like watching a rehearsal. Did you see that clip? I did. Yeah, I was so wonderful to watch, and I, and I yeah. definitely felt especially the reminder of kinship with you, like, not like we were puppeteering on the same puppet, but we were both foot bitches. And that was really nice. (laughs) Both, both foot bitches in a like very dance heavy tabletop show, which is kind of hysterical because like I, I could la-ti-da on the dance floor at a wedding, but like couldn't do any of the stuff that we were actually making those puppets do. Um, But to know that (laughs) footwork was, was pretty cool. Yeah. That was awesome. And, and I do do swing dancing. And yeah. still for me, it was like, oh, I get to put it into my hands, into the puppet's body. It was really, really right. wonderful. I really wish I could have seen her do it at the tank. I know. Yeah, for sure. But um, are you are you guys doing the, the Nasty Brutish and Short this year? We're doing... So I'm not involved with Nasty Brutish and Short. This year, I'm the, the coordinator of the festival as a whole. So rather than being like part of one of the partners producing entities, I'm like actually working at the festival with Sandy and Blair and we're like making the thing happen. And I might, I'm hoping to perform at Nasty British and Short in a friend's piece. Well, I call her friend because she's a friend, but really 
she's an incredible artist that I'm really excited to work with and who's also a teacher that I took her work pop-up workshop, Jaren's son. She is a brilliant artist and she asked me to work on her piece and I was like, yes, <laughs> please, thank you. That is wonderful. So if I have time, other than coordinating, maybe I'll get to perform in it. And can you describe what the personality of that festival is? I don't think I said it. It's uh, the, is it the Chicago International Puppetry Puppet, Festival? Puppet the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival. Okay. But yeah, tell us a little bit about just how it's maybe different from from other puppetry festivals and just, you know, what to expect even this year. Um, it's an international festival. And uh, the the really cool thing about it is the amount of partners that we have all throughout the city. So we uh, there are some things that we rent spaces and and put up, but bring a show in and put it up. But a lot of the shows are in tandem with um, with various cultural centers or museums or what have you theaters in Chicago. And so that's a, that's a really cool thing. I think we have like a lot of partners, uh, which is really, really exciting. And it encourages other places to bring puppetry in. Um, the cool thing is we've been, it was 2015, 2017, 2019 should have been 21. However, uh, you know what happened with COVID. So we're doing 22. But after this is going to be 23, 24, 25, 26. It's going to be annual, which oh, is amazing. So exciting. We're Blair is always, I mean, he knows puppetry in the world like no other or like a handful of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's incredible at curating a variety of different tones and styles. So, so like we have. At least there are like three pieces from New York. Robin Frohart is bringing Plastic Bag Store. Nick Lahane is bringing Chimpanzee, which I saw a section of. And it's beautiful. Um, and I can't wait to see the whole thing. And uh, Andy Magic and Dorothy James are bringing Bill's 44th. So there's like a great New York contingent. And then we've got Bread and Puppet. Oh, wow. Basil Twist. I should just list them all if I'm going to list any, but I'm just super excited about having these incredible artists here. It's not the conference where we're all like hanging out on a small campus, but we're hanging out in a big city, you know, with all us puppet nerds. So is Chicago, I know it's obviously, you know, a huge hub for, for comedy and for theater. Does puppetry have a good home there as well? Puppetry does have a good home. Puppetry was actually the term puppeteer was created in uh chicago oh i had no idea in the building that our offices and studio are the fine arts building by ellen van volkenberg i can't remember what year um but they needed something i think to put in the program of what the people doing the puppets were and so she said uh puppeteer thank god it wasn't puppeting because i hear (laughs) that and it's like nails on a chalkboard puppeting (laughs) i use it sometimes (laughs) <laughs> I've also been guilty, but there are just some times where it catches me. And it's it's always like someone who isn't in the puppetry world who says it. And it's just like, ah, oh, come on. Yeah, it's like insulting your brother or something. Like yeah, you can do yeah, it, yeah. but if right. someone else does it. Exactly. Um, 
yeah so there's there's great and there's like blair has has been doing puppetry here for uh i i'm not good with how many years ago something was because right now like you know 2003 feels like yesterday and it's not it was like 20 years ago and now he's really he's uh blair thompson company has become the chicago international public theater festival and another cool thing about it is that it's it brings out chicago i mean one it's in the middle of winter when there's just it's i'm a i've moved to california so i <laughs> need the sun and i need the warmth so i'm gonna say my feelings it's really sad here in the winter it's, I, I'm in Western New York and like the, the sky just is gray for like five months and it's uh, miserable. It's so sad. People should be inside. They should. And they, you know, some people love it and I'm not one of those people. I love the city. I love the people. And it makes me really sad that I don't love the weather, but it's a really good time for the puppet festival because it, uh, it brings people together and it really creates a lot of warmth and heart and spirit and energy. So it's not just like, you know, national festivals and conferences and, and so on. It's puppet puppeteers, puppet enthusiasts, puppet people. Here it's people. You know, it is just like Chicagoans who want to see the thing, the stuff that they started seeing because there was this festival and they started seeing it and then they loved seeing it and they want to see more. And they became puppet lovers. And then people like puppeteers come in from all over the place to see stuff and do perform. And we have a catapult program. So you can like be in a cohort of other artists seeing shows together, which is really exciting too. Hey, I uh, ask people some just kind of random questions in the, during this time to get the get the juices flowing a little bit. What uh, what teacher of yours that you had growing up do you think uh, would be proudest of you? Oh man, I don't know if she would even remember this, but in my head, I'm going to tell myself that she would be proud of me. I had a teacher. I had a teacher in seventh grade, Miss Sandberg, who in seventh grade, I was a, a wreck. It was like grades were the most important thing ever in the history of the world. My grades. Like if I didn't get straight A's in seventh grade as a, what is that? 12 year old, 11 year old, something. I don't yeah, know. Something like that. The world would crumble and fall and fiery <laughs> terribleness. Um, so I would get, I don't know where this came from. My parents didn't care what, if I got straight A's or not, you know. Um, so I would stress out so much about taking a test that I would cry while I was like studying and, but I would study really hard. I take the test and then this, the anticipation of what grade that I got was so intense, like between taking the test, like handing in that paper and like getting it back was the the most suspenseful, stressful time. So I would cry. And, and then after I got the test back, I would cry so much because I got an A, 
but I had just spent so much time crying. Like I, and I regretted that I was, had wasted all that time. So I was like, had some, some stuff going on when I got, when I got older, I got medicated, but I have a feeling there was, there was some, (laughs) some stuff going on back then. Some, uh, untreated anxiety mm-hmm. <laughs> situation. Um, so Ms. Sandberg, one day at lunch, she kept me, everyone else went to lunch and, and she had a talk with me and she, like my seventh grade teacher said to me, Here's a it Zoloft is not going to matter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, she probably would have gotten fired for that one. <laughs> but she was like, she was like, uh, in in 10 years, it is not going to matter what grades you got in seventh grade. This is not the end of the world. And I know it's important to you, but it's okay. Like whatever grade you get is okay. And I want to think that I have come a very long way since then. Nothing is really the end of the world. But, but, you know, I've got moments where it feels like the end of the world, but yeah. I'm... I am now able to like, to think about actually how much time I've wasted in anxiety and about whether I did the best job I possibly could or whether something is, you know, it's it's just not the most important thing. And I do thank the, the, uh, whatever the generic of Prozac. And I do think that it's, it's a really helpful thing and the lots of therapy, but also just the, and support system, Yeah, you know, to, my mom was like, she doesn't remember this, but I really think that she, she sat me down one day and said, look, if you flunk a test, I will buy you a new outfit. Like just do poorly, like, and know it's okay. <laughs> she claims that didn't happen, but I remember, I remember her saying like, this is not that important. Um, and having a, a parent like do that is really like my parents are really great. Really, really, really great. So I think maybe I think she would be proud of me if she remembers that conversation. <laughs> Isn't that kind of the wild thing? I mean, it, and this happens across the board. Um, but like you have those moments with people of like some kind of authority or mentorship. And like that's just a day for them. Like in most cases, like most of them probably don't remember that they even said that, let alone that it would have had any kind of like lasting impact. But like for the person who receives that, it's just so like that's that's a life changing thing. I don't know. I just I think about that a lot. Yeah, I think that's a really I think that's really true. And sometimes, you know, there's probably things that they remember or things that like we as teachers, you know, remember that the kids have no idea. Like it's, it's interesting, the things that are important to individual people. I have another random question. What is the first time you remember getting caught in a lie? Oh man. This is a really hard one. I really, really don't, like intentionally don't lie for a couple different reasons. One, I feel very uh, responsible to other humans. Like we're in this world together. Why would we deceive each other? Mm -hmm. Just doesn't quite make sense to me. 
Also, the logistics of lying are complicated. <laughs> Once you lie, you have to remember what you lied about right. and like do it again. And that seems just super inconvenient to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know that I've had the feeling of being caught in a lie because it I know that I don't want to. Like it it feels really bad, but I can't honestly think of any specific times. But the idea of the idea of being caught in a lie like makes my stomach churn. So um, that had to have come from somewhere. The listeners write in when did ta- <laughs> when did you catch Taylor in a lie? Oh man, <laughs> it kind of reminds me that that story seems to rhyme with what you said about you know really wanting to focus on getting the good grades in school. Like it all kind of it all kind of just tracks of like wanting to have the most accurate version of like the story down and and like not wanting to not know and not have the answer. That you just said something really, really nice. Um, Wanting to have the accurate version of the story down. Is that Mm -hmm. what you said? I think so. That's really that's really interesting. And I don't know if you meant it this way, but like this, the life story, is that what you meant? Or you oh. meant like the this, this specific story? In the no, I just, I just meant like, you know, oh, you're, you're doing the war of 1812. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I got to know who was fighting who. But, <laughs> but I mean that it, it certainly does work in that broader sense as well. Yeah. I think, I think the, <laughs> I think, okay, so being storytellers, we think in a particular way. Sure. I think. And thinking of my story as the story, I think that's like where I used to get into trouble. Like, you know, it's like the Truman Truman effect or the Truman syndrome or whatever. Where oh, you like think the, the Truman show, the, like the Jim Carrey, like, yeah. Yeah, I think... I don't, I don't, I'm sure I didn't consciously think of this, but it's like, I'm the only thing that matters. Like at that point, right. you're the only thing that matters to you. And it had to be perfect. Like what I did had to be perfect. And I think, and I'm actually just thinking about this in this way right now. I think that's kind of where it's also letting people down. But even mm-hmm. when I knew that there were, that no one expected me to do a certain perfect thing, it's I like the story had to be perfect. And now I think of my life as a story, but I think of it, you know, the more sophisticated and version of a story which has conflict and has a climax and has resolution and changes and it's messier and more interesting than just, you know, something with a beginning, a middle and end. It's got all of the nuances in between all those things. And yeah. So when something big happens, I try to think about this is the moment the story changes. Mm -hmm. This is if the story didn't change, then it wouldn't be complete and it wouldn't be interesting. And it's painful now, but this is the the moment that makes it interesting. And, you know, I'm going through transition right now and that thinking about that, like this is the moment the story changes and also thinking about when I'm in something that feels impossible to walk through, like this is happening. This, I, I could think about why it's happening. I could think about 
what I could have done or what was done to me or whatever series of things, it doesn't matter. This is happening. Fact. So the good and the bad parts of thinking of yourself as the story, you know, and how that changes as you age is it is is interesting. And I had never thought of that in terms of like my younger life <laughs> before. Well, happy to to shed that little insight just from afar. I'm also thinking about and not to get too much about what's going on with with me, but um, you know, I just lost my my grandfather, my mm-hmm. my mom's dad, and um, you know, he had been sick and suffering for for a while. We found out last year that he had Alzheimer's, and um, he passed away on on Thanksgiving. And so, so quickly, as you know, my mom, my uncle had to be calling, you know, every family member to let them know what was going on. You saw how fast the narrative gets written of, oh, he, you know, we're so grateful, you know, what a better way to celebrate Thanksgiving. And he got to be at the parade and like all, like all of the things that um, I think, you know, you say to, like help people feel better, but it's also going to be like, okay, now every time we we talk about him, like like I was watching the story get written like right in front of me as people were were telling it, which was just a really surreal feeling. There've been a couple um, in the last couple weeks of just like, oh, okay, this is this is what it actually feels to to lose someone because um, mm-hmm. it's probably you know, really one of the first major um, losses of someone, you know, who is actively like a, a member of my like day to day and week to week. So to to be living that now has just been interesting. But like I said, something about what you said made me think like, oh, yeah, this is how we we contextualize these these things in, in real time. Yeah. And I, it's interesting that you are you're so aware of that happening. Um, because I'm that, that takes a lot of people to make that story, but most people don't think about the step outside of it and look at it happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder if that is something that, how did that make you feel? Was that something that was helpful to be able to look at it that way? Or was that painful to see something like feeling like it was written, um, and, and, and not changeable in some ways? I think it was one of those things like when it was when it was first said when it was first the thing that like you know when we had to tell my grandmother that he had passed and when we were first kind of processing it for ourselves it it was like very comforting but then to throughout the day keep hearing it regurgitated and also just hearing, you know, the tone in people's voices as you had to say it to his oh. sixth cousin once removed. <laughs> or when you're when you have to say it to your coworker who like they never knew him and like I don't really care if they know or not, you know, that we think that he's at the Macy's parade. Like those mm-hmm. sorts of things. It it went from being something from being a comfort to us to having it be comforting to other people that we were okay yeah that's so interesting and it just it also made you start to think of like 
because there are plenty of people who I fanboy over. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you just hear the lives of this person or that person, and you you hear the way that they get mythologized in different ways, yeah. and the ways that fans, you know, will try to sneak insights into things, and it's just like, but they were a a person. And like, there are those nuances that you don't, you'll never know because they were, you know, they were their own thing. And there's only so much that that coffee table book is able to to let you know about, <laughs> you yeah. know? And um, I, I, and I think it was part of that too, of like, you know, in, in seeing it for your, for yourself and seeing how hollow that could make the the experience feel you realize how you know how hollow some of those stories must be for the family members who like actually knew that person yeah it's one of those like it's not a good thing or a bad thing but it's it's just you realize like oh well it's one of those moments you realize like oh we're just animals (laughs) like (laughs) we're just we're just trying to like you know make everyone feel as as comfortable as they can uh, in our own weird patterns yeah that just animals thing is interesting because that can be really comforting i mean yeah we're talking about story and like holding your own story on a pedestal which as as i've said can be destructive or can be really freeing but it's like you think of it as like okay we're just animals either either that or like okay you know that the the images of where you see the earth you know that's mm-hmm. we're we're that's a picture of all of us, but that's how small we are too. Um, so yeah, we're just animals and we're going to react how we're going to react. And we, right. No. And, and you just realize that like, Oh, nothing's new. Like everything yeah. is, but nothing is. And like, and that's, that's what even gets weird about, I think telling people that you're experiencing grief. Cause like who hasn't lost a grandparent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you feel there's a weird, like, it's you're not ashamed that you're in sorrow but like you you almost feel silly telling people because it's like it means the world to me but like also everyone has had it at some point so you feel silly having these feelings knowing that like other people are living their lives yes i totally understand that there's also the side of it where everyone everyone has experienced it or will experience that most okay so let's let's go with the premise that everyone has experienced it yeah it means that everyone knows what you're going through and knows how hard it is and Mm -hmm. it's not you know we we have a lot of things in common but one thing is being really close to our grandparents Mm -hmm. um which is um i i feel so lucky that i got that i had three of my four grandparents for up until uh some years like you know a few years ago and that is such a what an honor to have them but it also means that like we got to know them really well we they were part of our everyday lives they know us they are and it hurts that much more so for those of us who are that lucky to have that we understand that what you're going through is one of the hardest things that you're going to go through you know and that's so so there's that too. <laughs> this discussion started with the question, when were you caught in a lie? 
Oh, I love our. I love that this is where we got to. Me too. I love that. I was. Um, you can ask me another random question, but another I have another one. tangent. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this breakup, I. It's been really, really interesting because I think I'm in a really healthy place to go through it, and the relationship was super healthy and super communicative and. The person is, he's a really wonderful human. We had over two years of time, most of which was during a global pandemic. Um, so it was like kind of like a lot of, it's a lot of time smushed together in a small, small window. But stepping out of it, a lot of times with the ends of relationships, you try to place blame and you try to demonize the other person because it feels good. And I, first, I didn't want to do that because I was hoping that, you know, it would come back around and I didn't want to make the possibility of us getting back together, like a non-ability, not, not possible. There's not a word, but not possibility, but now I want to make a word for impossibility. Impossibility. <laughs> there is a word. <laughs> Oh, there's a word. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, by by like turning my brain off of of that or or pretending it was something that it's not like yeah. terrible. It wasn't terrible. It's was great. But then it, you know, it gets painful. And then you find yourself, okay, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to think of why it's I, I mean, I didn't I hate saying this. There, were, there was like an eat like one evening where I'm like, okay, it's his fault and he did this and da, da, da. and it felt so terrible. Like it gave me an anxiety attack walking like in public. Just the idea of making up a story that wasn't true to make me feel better made mm -hmm. me feel so terrible. Um, and it just it made me think about like the the stories that we tell after something like you're saying tell tell about your grandfather and those are the stories that we remember it's not it's not always what actually happened it's how we recall it and how we retell it and so i'm trying to be really careful about telling myself the truth about what the relationship was whether it's you know that relationship or or just stories in my life like and every time it's always going to be a biased view right you know but i can be try to be as honest as i can about how i was feeling in that moment so much of I think what puppets can do best that they don't always do best but is really putting out visual metaphors uh -huh. and I um, am always weary of the um, conversation of someone saying like oh I'm I'm just a Muppet style puppeteer I'm just a tabletop style puppeteer because how many shows have we seen where you get both in the same show um and 
you know, one version or, you know, one style of that puppet is being used to tell this part of the story. And then the other is being used for, for this. And I think it's in, in those cases where it's being done really well, it's because that style of puppet works best for that visual metaphor that the storyteller is trying to, to convey. That's, that's sort of how I personally process it. I'm wondering if you feel the same way or, um, or if you have a different way of kind of rationalizing such choreography in your head. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think, um, I also agree that, that, uh, metaphor is the strength of puppetry. Um, I feel like puppets, they tell truth in a way that is unattainable with any sort of just, I don't want to say verbal communication, but like normal communication between humans. Yeah. Um, I think about the, the image in the Scott McCloud book, Understanding Comics, about making art because of the frustrating inability to transfer ideas from my brain to your brain. Mm -hmm. And to me, any sort of artistic expression is those are the people who are most frustrated, I think, with that inability are the ones who become artists. Yeah. I think puppetry for me is a really good way of expressing those ideas because, because of the metaphor metaphorical nature um of you have materials you have you just complete flexibility in as in regards to physics um you have visual oral uh just it feels to me like the like all the tools fit into that style of storytelling so it's the biggest range of vocabulary that you can one can have and just like you use various vocabulary to express various ideas you could pull those different tools to express different ideas in puppetry so if it is something that is I don't have a good example right now but some things are are better explained with a tabletop puppet where you want to see the full body and the full body expression you want to see the just uncanny uh and incredible moments of multiple people bringing to life this one inanimate object working together you know in sync in not not in not in not speaking just feeling sometimes speaking you know um or if you want you need to have a puppet that's going to speak truth to power and they need to speak something but it can't be a person because a person saying something to someone has responsibility for what they're saying, but a puppet can say things and they're who, who's responsible for that. Um, so there's just, I don't know. It just feels like a complete toolbox because our, our ideas and our thoughts are so, so inexpressible. Yeah. <laughs> so the, like, why not use the thing that has the most potential for getting even close to that truth? I, I totally agree. And I think um, I am so excited by watching the the materials used to create the puppet themselves to help further the the story and the metaphor that's being told. Like, 
if if your piece is about a person who is you know you know sort of decomposing in a way let's just say you know and that could mean whatever whatever you want it to but to see a, a you know a, a tabletop type character go from being made out of wood to being made out of tissue paper throughout the course of a show like that's something that you just could never do with the human on stage you might be able to do that with their costume or the lighting or things but not with the not with the actual guy um you know the actual person on stage but um you have just those like boundless liberties when you're when you're wiggling the dollies yeah absolutely the and with words you can say as as time went on john decomposed you know whatever yeah (laughs) but but you don't and some and you can feel i mean you can feel words for sure but there's a different kind to me there's a different kind of feeling and and visceral understanding when you're seeing something um i'm a very visual person so and also you know i i'm always i love watching people making things and so getting to see performers doing their thing is just part of that seeing the human the humanity of course a writer is going to write i feel like i'm dissing on like writers or something (laughs) like that like novelists they write the puppet Um, shows too so (laughs) yeah right exactly um and and then being in a room with someone i've been in la doing focusing on on uh tv and film and, and which has been really really awesome and just another added tool um in my tool belt but it's so cool like i went to a show last night and there were people there and (laughs) people sitting next to me and watching and part of the show was like telling the person next to you how you got here like what your journey was Mm -hmm. like like pre-show that like how how great is that you know that's it's been a while but also so both working in film and television and then also the pandemic right it's like getting to really get excited about being in a room with people wiggling the dollies i have like wiggling the dollies is another one for me that's like a like the same puppeting thing for you yeah 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 where like Uh puppeteers can say it but like (laughs) well i guess non-puppeteers don't really say it true but but, um I know what you mean because well, it, it it belittles it so much. Right. So if you're saying it d- depends on the tone of voice, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, was that your first time back in a theater yesterday? In a theater, yes. But I had so the the puppet festival does these living room tours, and there was one in November, and it was maybe a week and a half after I came back to Chicago totally feeling completely defeated and run down and like dealing with major transition. And I hadn't planned on being in town and Sandy, who's the um, executive director at the puppet festival was like, you should come out to the living room tours. And I was like, I just don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, who wants like a, a weeping staff person, you know, (laughs) like fundraiser that. Um, And I went and seeing these performances in literally in someone's living room it was nick lahane's chimpanzee like that team came and did this 
20 minute excerpt from chimpanzee, which is a tabletop show about a chimpanzee. And you're just watching these three brilliant puppeteers bring to life this being, you know, um, I love watching like gorillas in the zoo. And this was like watching, watching a chimpanzee in that same way. But the, the beautiful uncanny thing about it was that it was these people doing it. So it had the same kind of feeling as watching an animal who's alive. Right. And then uh, Vanessa Valliere, who is, she's a clown. Like I've seen this piece that she did a million times and it's beautiful and hilarious every time. It's hilarious. And her face does things that like you can't, you, you can't not laugh at. And then Time Bricky, who uh, performed a piece and Time, I taught puppetry to when he was a teenager. So he said I was like the first like real puppetry class that he took or puppetry experience that he had. And so getting to watch him perform as well. So those three performances and like that really brought me out of, like helped bring me out of this really, really dark place that I was in. Getting to spend time with people who were really making work that I had a like really deep effect on this part of my life, which is a major part of my life. I feel like this is, you know, I'm sure I'll have heartbreak again, you know, or, you know, whoever he is, but he will die, you know, whatever, like there's going to be sadness again, but I feel like this is a really big one for me. And their work was able to like resurrect me in a way. So that was really special. theater's responsibility is does theater have a responsibility to do anything as we move out of you know the last two years um as more people are gathering in houses is it important to to respond to this or do you think just being there like just existing is enough for the shows and the things that get presented does that make sense it does make sense And you're not talking about any sort of safety, anything like that, responsibilities in that way. You mean content, right? No, I I mean, yeah, I I totally mean content. The the safety thing is a whole other conversation (laughs) that, um, yeah. It's present in the room no matter what you're doing. Whatever your experience has been over the past uh, two years is going to be in the room. And it's like, Anything, you know, like you project your own experiences onto the story, onto the actors. But in this specific case, we've all gone through something. It's not the exact same thing, but there is a thing that unites us. It's like, it's like uh, going on a retreat in <laughs> like retreats were a big deal in high school. And it's like you go on a retreat and then you come back and you walk the hallway and you see someone who you were on the retreat with. There's something, you don't have to say anything, but you went through the same experience. So I think just having those spaces and being in the room and not pretending that nothing happened, you know, which you yeah. can't, no one wants to do that. There's there's a, a difference in the way that we regard each other and respect 
uh, boundaries and are aware of our vapor, water vapors coming out of our mouths and noses and, and, uh, the way we value our jobs or value our family, like it, it's just changed. Yeah. And I think being in a physical space together with all those changes that happened is powerful in itself. And now, so I don't, I don't think that theater itself has any responsibility to, to bring it up because just having the space is, is enough. I I like that a lot. I, and I think about, you know, it's, I think there was a, a big demand in film and television to, you know, keep churning stuff out, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they just needed to, you know, to keep keep making the thing. But um, I think about like how many shows like it was so nice that they weren't addressing what happened, you know, that you didn't see people all wearing masks and stuff. And then you do see a couple examples where like they were very thoughtful about representing it and and. I don't know that one is better or worse, but yeah, it is that thing of like, it is on everybody's mind. So just being respectful of that aspect of it, however you move forward is, that's that's the new job. Yeah, yeah. TV and film is interesting because I had moved into TV and film. And so that's the area I was in during the, when the pandemic started. Um, and But actually right before the pandemic, I had come back to Chicago to perform in an opera, not singing, no matter what all the dreams that I had subsequently told me I was not actually singing in that opera. Um, <laughs> I had lots of opera singing dreams after that. Um, I was puppeteering. So I had just come from the theater, but really my bread and butter was coming from TV and film. And specifically I was in animation. I was working as yeah. a producer's assistant on um, an animated feature at the time. And so I felt both incredibly privileged to not be worrying about where my money was coming from. And like, uh, partially like I was somehow letting down or like I had flown away or something and wasn't kind of like in the trenches with my theater folk. Mm -hmm. But, but I tried to, tried to just pay for as many shows as I could on that were online and and give money. And because it's not like I was making, I mean, I was not making a ton of money, but I was making money. You know, I was, I had a job and right now, like I definitely, I miss being on set right now and stuff and, and that world and telling stories in that way. But being part of live theater right now, like making live theater just feels right. And I'm really grateful to have, to have that when I, when I first came back to Chicago and I was like, just barely functioning. And Blair Thomas said to me, if you can let the work be the solve. And that really, that really resonated with me. It's like, I'm, this is a really important and beautiful thing that we're making. And though everything else doesn't feel right in my life, this does. I'm so glad that you have that and i i mean as long as i've known you you know we we know each other from the theater world and just to know how much that brings you light and how much light you're able to bring to that i'm i'm really glad you have that right now thank you and i'm glad that you have uh podcasting right now (laughs) 
<laughs> that I get to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. There's always something good happening, even if, if the thing that's poking at us is really painful. That's, yeah. it's like, um, I'm, I've been getting really into tarot, like tar the art of tarot cards. Mm -hmm. And so I got myself this set. Oh, you're not going to be able to see it while you're listening, but it's, it's the dream keepers tarot by Liz Houston. Um, and the other day I pulled a card, the six of cups, and it is a, like two kind of like angelic little girls, like Shirley Temple type girls sitting on a cloud that is the body of the skeleton of a swan. Oh, wow. And there's a, there's a bunch of other stuff going on, but it is it, when I read what it's about, it's about beginner's mind and seeing the world anew or like, like you haven't, yes, anew <laughs> and pulling that card really I was having a real crappy day and it was only like, 7 a.m. <laughs> but it was like, okay, I'm going to have beginner's mind. I'm going to do that exercise that we do and that we did in like theater school where you open your eyes and you look, you actually look at what is around you. You see, you see like the corners and the textures and the, the little nooks that are in the space. And those things are beautiful. Those things are around us all the time. And so to like, just kind of meditate on that was really wonderful. So that's what I'm trying to do when I feel terrible. And sometimes I'm just feeling terrible. And that's like, I'm flipping through Facebook, which doesn't always help. No, does that's a bad, don't use that. I mean, not, not in the thing, but don't, <laughs> doesn't make you feel better. Not a coping <laughs> skill. Not a good coping skill, but we're like putting on a, putting on a Disney movie or something, Yeah. you know, like, and being sad. It's good, too, sometimes. As we start to draw to a close, I always ask people, how can we, how can the audience listening kind of help? I guess where I want to start in asking is, like, what's something that you think about theater or about like the process of creation that if you think that people knew and had some empathy about that would would make your process of working in that field easier that's an interesting question and not just don't use the word puppeting or doll wiggling <laughs> <laughs> don't do it huh interesting I'm not, I guess the thing is I'm not doing a whole ton of, I'm just not putting my work out there so much. Mm -hmm. And so. Do you think there's something about the craft that you find that you have to like explain to people oh. every time that you're just like, oh no, it's more than that. Or like, no, you don't get it. Um, something there that you wish people had a better understanding of? I mean, this is not a profound thing, but, no. um, go ahead. But I guess I, I wish the stuff that we were talking about, about puppetry and being metaphor, mm -hmm. I do wish that more people understood 
what puppetry was and the full definition or the full range of what it can mean. Yeah. I, I'm really, I'm interested in there being more people being able to embrace that kind of storytelling. So more people going to see that kind of puppet theater work, which, you know, kind of only happens when, when someone like Blair creates a festival and has marketing and gets the word out. You can't blame people for not seeing something they don't know about. So I'm really grateful to him and other right. people who are like trying to get not just puppeteers to see other puppet work, but people. But also I'm interested in how it, how it can be translated to film. Cause you know, a lot, there are, there are really invaluable things about being in person with people, but film and TV can be seen by more people and experienced by more people. And like we were talking about when you have something in common with other people, even if it's watching a TV show, watching a movie, seeing some story that creates that community, which is valuable in a different way in, in TV or actually valuable in the same way, uh, but got to in a different way, live versus in your house, watching it on your phone. So I guess being open to, to watching stuff and experiencing stuff that may not be as familiar a method of communication. I, I like that a lot. And um, did you read Mervyn Miller's book? um puppetry and how to do it no but i want to he's amazing it's it's a wonderful book for people who don't know he um worked with handspring puppet for a long time he has his own company now with a significant object and uh no in his in his book which is really just a guide to teaching people about puppetry mm -hmm. it's a it's a wonderful handbook for any person who's like doing puppetry workshops and such but in the early pages of the book, he advocates for just more people trying puppetry, uh, which would have the sort of ripple effect of more people being able to know the difference between good and bad puppetry. Mm. He said, because like very few people are terrific singers, but everybody sings. Right. Interesting. And everybody has a concept of oh, I'm, I'm not very good, or I could, I could pass as a, you know, I could, you know, do, do a little thing here or there if I needed to. And he said, like, the more people could understand, like, no, just having a really shitty puppet in a television commercial isn't puppetry, um, or just having an actor who was in the chorus of an Avenue Q community theater production doesn't mean that they you know, can hold their own as the lead puppeteer in a crappy commercial, mm -hmm. um, you know, all all those things and just saying, it was just a really interesting, I never quite thought of it in that way of the more people see it, the more they'll, the more people see bad puppetry, the more they'll appreciate the the good stuff. Yeah. And the more that they'll be able to, to identify that that is bad puppetry. Yeah. And they have to be exposed to the good stuff too. Or else mm -hmm. they just think that the bad stuff is the stuff. Right. Right. Too. Well, it's, I think it's the same people who have um, have issues with clowns. Right. Mm -hmm. Like yes. how many how many bad birthday party clowns are. <sighs> and that's the only thing people ever see. So they yeah. think that that's 
the be all and end all. And I, I just think about how many people say like, oh, puppets are really creepy and like I don't like them. They say that in the same breath they have, you know, an Elmo t-shirt on or something. <laughs> but but they had some horrible experience at a, I'm, I'm throwing birthday performers under the bus now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they saw a bad example of it. And that's that's all they think now. Yes. Does it make your stomach hurt when you see a bad representation of an art form that you do? And you're like, there are other like like a, a bad a bad puppet show. I'm not, and you know, good for people for getting out there and doing the thing. I've made so much bad stuff and and I really hope people don't totally hold it against me. And like right. I said, I don't know that I've no, made same. anything good ever, but, but seeing something that you know is not representative and knowing that other people in the audience, that is the one and only puppet show that they're ever going to see because of that, it yep. just makes my stomach hurt. It's painful. Um, no, it, it. It breaks your heart. Yeah, that's how I was with marionettes. Um, mm-hmm. I saw a bad marionette show when I was a kid, and I didn't like marionettes until I saw Philip Hewer perform in 2012. Yeah. Even though I was a puppeteer. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, But that was 2012. Was That was our first O'Neill, you know? And like... Right. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, broke our brains. Game changer. Yeah. Yeah. What do you hope that listeners who are hearing this take away from our conversation that we just had. Uh, Cam Garrity is amazing <laughs> and you shall be fan fangirls and boys and, and people of him. Oh my God. No, that's not. My oh my God. Cam, you're turning so red. I've never seen that shade of red before. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I miss you. Um, I miss you too. <laughs> well, you know what? I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go with the the six of cups um, and this idea of beginner's mind and just opening up your eyes to to the things that you hadn't thought of and trying to see things as a in a childlike way, not being childish but being full of wonder. And it's, it's a really good tool when things are challenging. Another thing is let yourself feel the things that you feel are feeling. Something I've learned uh, recently or thought of a lot more is the more shame you have about how you feel, the more feel bad feelings you're going to have. And yeah. so letting go of that shame is just, is just dropping a whole, whole lot of of weight that you're carrying just feel what you're feeling and and then move on to what you're feeling next and i also that puppetry is is a a beautiful way to communicate ideas from one brain to another because uh our humanity our our being locked in these bodies doesn't let us communicate from directly from brain to brain which is a beautiful thing because it means that there's art in the world so it's a it's a never ending struggle to try to recreate what's going on in our our minds and hearts. Limitations set you free. How can uh, people get in touch with you or follow the work that you're creating? I am on Facebook, um, Bebot Productions, and on Instagram, 
also as Bebop Productions. I may have to I may have to fill this in later. Okay. Um, I think those are all check right. Check the liner things. notes. Yeah, or show exactly. notes or whatever it is. Um, and my website is taylorbebop.com. However, I'm probably going to soon. I'm, I'm in business transition right now. So everything's kind of, I'm trying to figure out how to structure the business end of stuff. So I probably, I think I bought bebotproductions.com, but I haven't, there's nothing on it. So. Check um, the show notes. Check the show notes. There will be something there, but I love, I love, uh, I, I don't know. I get my strength and my energy from other people. So, and I'm, so I uh, just cut all of this, Cam, <laughs> cut it all. <laughs> Check the show notes. <laughs> Taylor, uh, one last thing. I want to thank you because your art and your approach to art has helped me make such important discoveries in my own creation. I think your empathy is a superpower that has already saved the world. <laughs> and your art isn't over. Oh, Cam. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. That means so much to me. I love that we've kindred spirits have found each other. Yes. In the world. Same way. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. I needed that. Thanks for doing this. This is this is great. Thank you. We did it. It came to the end of another episode of This Should Have Been a Phone Call. So much thanks to Taylor for stopping by and having such a lovely chat with me. It's always so wonderful to get a chance to talk to her. If this is your first time listening, there are plenty of other episodes of the show. Just go to phonecallpod.com and you could listen to all of them right now. Please give us a follow at phonecallpod wherever you get your social media. And if you're feeling brave, I always appreciate a good review or comment over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps the show grow, but it also makes you forget that embarrassing thing you did in high school. So we definitely appreciate that. We'll see you next time on This Should Have Been a Phone Call. Thank you.